Welcome, welcome everyone to this week's episode of The No Normal Show, brought to you by Revive. This is where we leave all things status quo, traditional, old school, and boring in the dust and celebrate the new, the powerful, the innovative, the future, all related to how brands can lead the way in health. I'm your co-host, Stephanie Rewell, SVP Integrated Marketing at Revive, and I'm joined by the most amazing crew today. We have some guests fresh off the South by Southwest world. We have Emily Cubis, Associate Director of Content Strategy. Hi, Emily. Hi. Excited to be here. <laughs> Emily is, as I mentioned, an Associate Director of Content Strategy here at Revive, but she has such an incredible wealth of healthcare knowledge and experience and information. She was previously a healthcare reporter covering the business of healthcare, uh, especially from the side of hospitals and health systems. And from there, then she worked in the health plan benefits world. So she has a really wide background. And now today she creates all kinds of incredible strategies and content for hospitals, health systems, and health tech organizations across the U.S. I'm also joined today by Bridget Beniste, Senior Art Director at Revive. Hi, Bridget. Hi there. I just have to brag on Bridget for a minute because she has the most amazing uh, art direction background and, cre and creative mind. Her pieces that she creates are truly art. They're marketing, they're advertising, but she has an illustration skill as well. And the work that she creates for our clients at Revive is the kind of thing that we print out and put on walls and that people want to take home and they want to buy and they want to frame Bridget, you have the most amazing, you know, creative mind uh, and idea generation ability. And it's so incredible to talk to you today and hear from you about how you're taking these interesting tech trends from South by Southwest and implementing them in a, in a creative standpoint. So with that said, let's get straight into our topic, which is South by Southwest. All three of us have been at South by in Austin for the last five days. We are catching up on our sleep, rehydrating, doing all the things. Um, and that's our topic today. We're going to talk about South by Southwest, the last week of the conference. Uh, what did we learn? What did we see? What should you as healthcare marketers be doing, be thinking about hot off the press from South by? So we will dig into six key themes and learnings. But before we do that, let's give just a quick overview of what South by is. Emily, do you want to share uh, just a bit about what is this wonderful world of South by Southwest? Yeah, absolutely. So this was my first South by. So it was uh, a new place for me, a new experience. Um, it's really, and what I have said to everyone since, is that it's really unlike anything else. Um, I've been to conferences, I've been to festivals, I've never really been to the conference festival hybrid, which is really what South by Southwest is. So it's in Austin, Texas. Um, it really kind of is a convergence of technology and healthcare and economics and trade and more conference-based content. And then also a film and TV festival, a music festival, there's art, there's networking. It's just a lot going on all the time. <laughs> It is a lot. Bridget, what was your what was your take? What was your experience like? 
Um, so South by Southwest is amazing. Being exposed to like new ways of thinking, being inspired by incredible, talented, passionate people. And then my absolute favorite part of it was like meeting and connecting with people from all over the world, like and just from different industries and being exposed to that. Like that was just a little extra nugget on top of everything. It was wonderful. Yes, I'm obsessed with the South by world. Um, it was my second and a half time, I guess, going because one time I, I went without a pass, which you can do for anyone interested. There's so much to see, so many events and ne- networking moments and brand activations. But having a having a pass is is really extraordinary because then you get into all the sessions and the, the discussions. And um, as Emily noted, it is a convergence of so many topics, which I think is what makes it so special. You can pop from a healthcare session to a tech session to marketing and branding to culture and just consider the context of all these things. So with that background, we are going to dive into six key themes. And again, these are really hot off the press. Um, South by is still happening right now, but yesterday and today, uh, which Tuesday and Wednesday, March 14th to 15th are kind of the the last part of the tech healthcare marketing overall conference. Um, So uh, we'll jump right into these. Emily, I'm going to toss the mic to you first if you want to set us up with with one key theme that, that, that you really took away. Sure. Um, I would say the first theme is just that the overall pace of innovation is accelerating and continues to accelerate. And I think that's a good first theme because it really applies to just the nature of the conference in general. It's all about innovation and new ways of thinking um, and new models for existing you know, brands or industries. But I think what was interesting for me, and I really focused kind of on the healthcare track. So I was very much attending, you know, as many of the healthcare sessions as I could. And that might sound like it was like, oh, all about the same stuff, but it was not. I mean, there were so many facets um, of healthcare present at South by Southwest. And in all of them, someone said something to the effect of like, the pace of innovation is just ex- continuing to accelerate. So whether that was about, you know, vaccines and clinical trials and therapeutics, which I think is kind of what you might think of in terms of medical advancements, but also software, hardware, AI, which I know we're going to talk more about, medical devices, um, the amount of data that's being created by healthcare patients and the amount of data analytics that's possible. Um, And there's just so much potential in all of that innovation to not just reimagine healthcare, but I think very specifically reimagine global healthcare. Um, The industry in the US is a little more stodgy, but you know, I think it's ripe for innovation too. But what was really exciting was how all of these um, innovation cases can be used to change health around the globe. So for example, taking the innovation in the way that we deployed, you know, the largest vaccine campaign known to man uh, with COVID-19 and applying that to inoculating the world against malaria um, and things like that. So it was just, I mean, every session, somebody was excited by what was possible now that wasn't possible even six months ago, a year ago, let alone five, 10. Yes. The, the vibe is definitely, um, I felt like it was a similar vibe as, and I wasn't around, you know, during this time in history, but some, some folks who, who were, uh, mentioned that the vibe now is very similar to the vibe in the early part of the internet days, 
Um, just like this, this idea that everything is, uh, tech is accelerating to your point at this exponential rate. We see Moore's law everywhere we look, which is about the doubling effect. Um, and with technologies like artificial intelligence starting to really kick off in a huge way, it feels like we're in a brand new tech era. Um, and I just thought that comparison was really what I felt. Bridget, how, how did, how did, um, what did you see around this theme? So my biggest takeaway just from what Emily was just saying, like healthcare is innovative. Um, They shouldn't be afraid. They should embrace it. I mean, we tout it all the time in advertising, state-of-the-art healthcare, innovative. Those buzzwords we always use. And I think we should really just go there and find ways to use it and definitely encourage doctors and physicians to see it in that light too. Yeah. And, and I think in, in general, you know, health systems and physicians are, are absolutely innovating in a hundred ways to your point, Bridget. Um, but the question is, are, are they the same ways that consumers are innovating? So there was a really interesting stat presented by, um, the CIO and CDO of UC Davis health, um, who who showcased the UC Davis Health Collab, uh, which is all about being an innovation partner health uh, ecosystem. And he shared some data that that showed the adoption um, rate of patients versus healthcare institutions. And not surprising at all, patients tend to adopt technologies far faster than institutions do. So when patients are sort of in their early majority stage, you know, innovators, early adopters, early majority, that's when institutions, healthcare uh, organizations, health systems, et cetera, are just in the innovative stage. So the point is, um, you know, we, we, we can speed things up. And this is specifically in the realm, I think, of, of digital innovations, not clinical, just to be really clear and separate those two, right? Um, so uh, Emily, anything else you would add about this theme? Yeah, I think it just what is so cool about the South by Southwest experience that I really, you know, would encourage folks who are interested in going to go is especially when we talk about innovation in healthcare. I feel like it's one of those buzzwords that's just like, well, what does that really mean? And it can mean, like you said, a hundred different things, a thousand different things. And it's a really cool experience to actually see people get up. And, you know, there was a panel uh, where they had chat GPT as a panelist. Um, and so it was, you know, these three amazing um, healthcare tech data folks, and then chat GPT answering all of the questions about how AI is going to evolve um, medicine and, and, and the ways that we can leverage digital technology to improve care. And it's just seeing those experiences in real time is just really illustrates what's happening um, in a more vivid way. And I think that's also something that health systems can capture for themselves in terms of showing their patients what it is that they do and what it actually means and not relying on state-of-the-art innovation because like that stuff goes in one ear and out the other. Absolutely. Um, that cannot be be replicated just to be in real life there. So let's move to our next headline, uh, Bridget. Bring us some of your amazing creative firepower. What what were you seeing as a big theme and takeaway? So I was really drawn to all the sessions that focused around storytelling. Um, one of them, I, I went to a session with Mark Maloney. He's a director for film and commercial, and he really like embraces imperfection. Uh, 
when like a TV spot is too polished, it doesn't feel real. It immediately takes the audience out of it and then makes you feel like you're just being advertised to. So during the session, we watched a nine minute Apple commercial. It was called uh, Escape from the Office. It followed a set of characters called the underdog and um, the whole audience was enthralled. The room laughed, chuckled, they went quiet when they were supposed to and they were engaged the whole time. And that's powerful. That was like nine minutes and the room was glued to the screen. Um, they showed Apple products in a real way, in a flawed way. Um, the product became one of the characters. Um, it was fun to see the main characters interact with it. Um, and he was fearless. He went against the grain, making it stand out and not become another version or something that we've already seen before. And then he also like shared this beautiful nugget of knowledge. Like the director spoke about light and shade and you need some darkness for the light to seep through. It made me think about like how um, healthcare clients want to put a happy face on all their service lines. And we have an opportunity to tap into real emotion and connect. We can give the consumer hope and create trust with an authentic sounding radio ad a social post that has heart or make a powerful, impactful TV spot that resonates with the audience. Um, yeah, and then I also went to uh, a session with chef and humanitarian Jose Andreas, who is an incredible human being. It just makes me happy that there's people in the world not only talking about change, but like his boots on the ground, hoping to make change in the world. And his keynote was powerful. He tells stories because it makes an impact. You don't know who needs to hear them, which is like the, every piece of content that we create is more important, that it has the power to connect and change behavior in and out of healthcare, and especially in healthcare, because we can save a life. Yeah, I love that, Bridget. I love what you're talking about related to authenticity, because I think it's so critical. And I know it's something that we're all trying to achieve in our work, but there is just no substitute for finding the people who are doing the work, finding the patients who are um, experiencing a condition or a, or a medical experience and asking them to be honest and truthful, which isn't always, you know, and then my cancer was cured. Like, and I'm so happy to have this system in my backyard. It's like, it's messy. It's really painful. And people feel really alone when they're in all kinds of experiences um, that are vulnerable. And it also makes me think about a panel that I saw, which was beautifully done. Um, it was from The Nocturnists, which is a healthcare podcast. I think primarily it's a physician-based podcast. And it was all about shame in medicine, specifically shame that physicians experience um, if they are to make an error, which does happen because this is a human science that we're, you know, uh, talking about. And it was just so um, amazing to hear these clinicians talk about, you know, their experiences and how important their own vulnerability is for training the next generation and connecting with patients and just getting out of sort of the ecosystem and business of healthcare and into that authentic place. So I love that. Yeah. Wow. Bridget, those sound, those sound like really powerful um, sessions. I want to watch those as, as follow-ups and just side note for anyone who wasn't able to attend. Um, some sessions are on YouTube 
So like that one Bridget just mentioned, the ones that are keynotes, you can often watch as a follow-up if you if you weren't there. Um, so I think just, just building off of that, there was one that I went to um, that maybe kind of leads into our next theme actually. Uh, and, and speaking of storytelling, one thing that was done really, really well at South by this year, which hasn't been done in the past and often other conferences have struggled with is include the voices of patients. Um, so there was one example, uh, a session I went to about VR and the ability of VR to be used in for pain management, um, randomly, it was actually a kind of a secondary session that I, I ended up in because I couldn't make into a session about, about AI. The, the line was just crazy. So I popped into this VR session and it was one of the most emotional ones of the whole time. So they had a, a patient, uh, as well as a physician, as well as a physician slash startup tech, um, uh, chief medical officer talking about chronic pain and VR. And so the patient that was present was a retired veteran. Um, and because of his service had many, many injuries and had chronic pain for life. And he was older and, and in addition to sharing how he used VR to manage his pain, which is fascinating, by the way, and there are some VR systems like Applied VR, which is uh, working through FDA regulations to be used as a medical device. But the powerful thing was he shared his story and he got really vulnerable and he talked about how he had actually uh, considered you know, suicide and asked his wife to kill him because he couldn't handle his pain. And the whole room was in tears. And it's stories like that that I think we don't hear enough of. So I think the overall theme and the takeaway I would have is we're still seeing patients as clinical profiles in healthcare. We know we need to see patients as people, but we're still not there yet. And there was another session that I that I went to it was the first one actually I hit the ground with, which was all about inclusive design. And some case studies were shared. One example was um, in the UK, the National Health Service uh, did a ton of ethnographic research in rural communities to really dig into how, what are the barriers that people are facing that, that uh, we need to solve to improve health in rural communities. And so they went and sat with people, looked in their refrigerators, looked in their pantries, rode in taxis with people, had hundreds of conversations and use those conversations to build a tool with. So that's not new news, right? In marketing, we always want to do deep research. We always want to have ethnographic studies. And at Revive, we do that fairly frequently. Um, but what I loved was we can look at research and statistics all day, and we should. And we should look at clinical profiles, and we should ingest patient data, and we do. But having those stories that move you to tears like this, this retired veteran are the ones that will in, in, encourage our work and encourage innovation more po possibly than all the data in the world. So I don't know if you all saw or heard that or if, or if you have a difference of opinion, but uh, I'd love to hear from y'all. Well, I did hear a similar kind of interesting patient story. This was like a little bit different. It was a cool medical device technology innovation related to, I believe, magnetic stimulation of the brain to solve um, brain damage, particularly damaged neural pathways. Um, and there was a former NFL player um, who... I should know his name, but I don't know anything about football, so I forgot it. But he had experienced um, a number of traumatic brain injuries um, and concussions playing an 11-year career with the NFL. And he talked about, um, you know, I was unconscious on the field for 12 minutes one time, woke up in the ER or, you know, in the ambulance and thought that I had broken my neck. 
Um, and he was experiencing um, a lot of cognitive decline in his ability to like finish his thoughts. And um, he was having a lot of social anxiety and he wasn't able to show up for his family or his community in the way that he wanted to. And so he's using this technology that is really burgeoning um, and actually more affordable than um, typical sort of MRI brain neurological therapies. Um, because it's not processed through, you know, the traditional healthcare system, um, and saw amazing results. And so the kind of thing I agree with you, Stephanie, is how amazing those patient stories are to hear people talk about what innovation is doing for them, but where, and it's not that I disagree about, you know, how we can bring that vulnerability into healthcare, because I think we need to, but it's also like, who has the time and who's paying for that? And I think that's what ultimately comes down to all these amazing um, innovations is just like, there's not a way built into our current system to capture that. Yeah. And I just want to be super clear, like when we're saying patient stories, what we're not talking about here is the tried and the true, like we're going to interview patients and create some videos and throw up up in service line marketing. That's important. Don't get me wrong. Right. But that's a specific use case, which is I'm about to undergo a heart surgery and I want to hear from others who have undergone a heart surgery and I want to understand their experiences. So I know to be prepared. That's not the same as I think what we're talking about, which is as marketers, how can we every single day, every single week, how can we be sitting down with patients on a constant basis? How can we really hear from them? How can we cry with them? You know, we, we don't have the, the, the uh, amazing, you know, day-to-day that physicians do where they're hearing from patients. And so can we sit with our physicians? Like we just need a much deeper understanding of the complexities and the nuances of the patient experience. And I literally mean, could we as marketers set aside two hours a week to sit down with patients. It's not a novel idea, but I don't see many doing it. Bridget, what are your what's your take? I mean, I think this is this discussion is like leads into our DEI work. Like truly powerful people always make space at the table for those voices to be heard. Um, we need to share those stories, we need to listen to those stories. And they're the ones that are facing the problem. So they are the ones that can actually help us solve the crisis that they are facing. Um, how many times have we seen a hunger conference and everyone speaking at that summit has never been hungry? So it's important to listen to those people and stop throwing money at the problem and start investing in the solution. And and that's the the power of healthcare. The healthcare can really do, do that very same thing. Preach, right? Every single person attending a conference has privilege to, to be there. Every single person working in marketing has a salary. <laughs> Every single person working in healthcare has a salary. You're you're right, Bridget, right? We don't understand the lived experiences of the rest of the world. And we have to keep that front and center. Um, this may be an interesting actually transition into our next theme. Emily, do you want to talk about the other side of the fence on this? Yeah. So another really interesting thing that I kept hearing, um, and not like in so many words, um, was this concept of physicians really experiencing a dethroning in the healthcare system. And it wasn't like I went to a panel called, you know, the changing physician role and they're being dethroned. But in little pockets in all of these different panels, I was just hearing um, 
sort of these, I guess, digs maybe at the physician class. And, you know, obviously we work with amazing physicians all the time and we know that individually they are so committed to their work and so committed to their patients. But the perception um, is not necessarily carrying through. You know, we heard things like, you know, they're expensive. We've built our entire healthcare system on this labor class that there simply aren't enough of. Um, they are not the most accessible. They struggle often to connect with patients, particularly those who are in communities that they don't recognize, which is why it's so important to have a more diversified clinician uh, uh, population. Um, you know, they. we also heard about how despite their best efforts, they continue to struggle to be able to counter the misinformation and the disinformation that's coming across all of our screens all day, every day. So just all of these things together felt like I was hearing more people paint physicians as part of the problem versus part of the solution. And I don't think that that's necessarily true, but I think it's a really important dynamic to be aware of um, because, and this came out of the uh, shame in physicians session as well. That's not just a workforce issue that has downstream patient impacts. For physicians, that's an identity crisis because they see themselves as so integral to um, patient care, and they are. But if the system is looking for ways to innovate around them, then we're going to have issues. Um, and we already do considering like shortages and burnout and just choosing to depart the profession in full. So I don't know. It was, it was a very interesting dynamic to kind of start sensing. Yes. And I don't know if we can stress this enough because I think it's a huge cultural shift that we've seen in our country in the last few years. Um, I, I heard from the physician side uh, the conversation of, hey, the pandemic called us heroes. That What that did that was unintended consequences was it, it painted us as in non-human, superhuman, which means that we didn't get the help that we needed. We didn't get the support that we needed because people just had this perception of like, y'all are heroes. You're going to just figure it out. And then with the progression of the pandemic and of course, all the misinformation and all the lack of trust and the challenges that came about, now the entire class of clinicians overall is left without support. Um, and, and, and now, you know, that perception of you're superhuman, why are you not superhuman? So there was that. There was also, Emily, you and I sat in a fascinating session about when doctors prescribe misinformation, and it was led by three really incredible folks. One that sits on the internal board of, 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 of medicine uh, that actually certifies physicians. One, um, a hospitalist and dean at University of Chicago, um, and then uh, a man who leads a public health project against misinformation. And they shared that when physicians take to social media to combat misinformation, they get bullied, they get death threats, they and their careers are sometimes completely disrupted because they're out there with no protection. So that's, I think, the physician side of the story. On the other hand, I sat in a session it was titled like the future of healthcare, right? Dime a dozen type of title, but the kind that attracts everyone. And so from the stage was the tech industry, you know, the, the retail industry talking about all the ways that they're fixing healthcare and how physicians are not helping. And sitting beside me were two doctors who had comments from the peanut gallery, not even peanut gallery, because I actually loved their commentary. It was amazing. They were upset about everything being said on the stage. 
they were really riled up because they realized they have the they have the medical knowledge. They went to school and they're not being trusted and they're not being listened to. And the tech industry is saying we can fix the system without you and with technology. And it's a massive, massive cultural dynamic that's playing out. So for you know healthcare institutions, how do you support your physicians and your clinicians while also innovating? Because we have to do it together. Um, that's my long soapbox on that. <laughs> Bridget, what would you add? I mean, I agree with everything that you just said. Physicians need to advocate for themselves. They need to be voice their opinions. I mean, and they're coming from actual knowledge. And maybe there's a way to work together because it's it seems like there is a problem and it needs to be solved. So I think maybe together they can do it. Um, they just need to be brought to the table. And like I had said previously, it needs to be um, faced with everyone because everyone has a brilliant mind and those things can combine together to solve the issue. Yeah, we'll be in a very bad state as a country if if we continue down this path of devoicing physicians in the solution. Okay, Bridget, speaking of what we can do, give us your second theme. So my second theme is be fearless, be bold. Um and being bold is the only way to stand out. There's so much competition. Your brand must be distinctive. It has to have personality and feeling. And it's more important than ever because people are making decisions on emotion. Um, I learned so much from Stephen Grass's brand mysticism and how brands can brands are created to go viral. His approach is wild. He believes brands should be beguiling, mystical, with multiple layers. Um, he talks about the onion method. He wants brands to be more interesting with the more layers you peel off. Like with some big brands, you if you take off that top layer, there's nothing there. There's no substance. So with this layered approach, you create loyal consumers because you keep them engaged with new ideas and you're always surprising them. Um, it's a way to invite the audience on a journey. And then also it's an opportunity to see the world through a different lens. And then, yeah, so that was, I'm going to buy his book after that session because I was just like so intrigued. That's amazing. Um, and small plug and shout out, you know, that Revive, we focus on how can we be bold? How can we, how can we go beyond the expected? Um, so, you know, to your point, Bridget, that's what it takes to do great work. That's what it takes to uh, to really elevate. There was there was one uh, beautiful quote called out in a session that I went to by um, uh, American Express, and it was about you know marketing and advertising. And he said, uh, you know, great work requires, um, I think, discipline. Oh, sorry, good work requires discipline. Great work requires obsession. So this idea of being obsessed with one thing and really focusing on one thing, for example, for American Express, it's the idea of helping, helping small businesses through the pandemic, helping small businesses through Small Business Saturday, but that one thing. So that to me is an, ex an expression of being bold and being fearless, like you're saying, Bridget, because it is what are not your, you know, 15 objectives and your mission statements. He talked about going from mission statements to mission. 
And I love that. And I think every single healthcare organization has a mission, but maybe doesn't fully express it. Yeah, I think that's so interesting too. And I think there's such a, um, what this conversation is making me think of kind of how we're talking about you know, every healthcare system is is cutting edge and innovative. I mean, the fact that we can treat cancer and save people's lives, like these are amazing innovations, but are they bold today? Like, are they bold at all? I mean, often no. Yeah. Okay. Let's get into our last one here that we'll leave everyone with. And it may be the biggest headline out of South by because it was where the longest lines were. I think all the articles written about this, but generative AI was everywhere you turned. Every single exhibit, every single sign, every single you know session headline um, in every session for sure. So I think I think the theme here that I would sum it up as is generative AI is here whether you like it or not. There are many many different ways to come at it, and and we could you know probably teach. Well, we couldn't teach a class, but many classes should be taught and will be taught and are being taught on the topic of generative AI. But just to come at it from a few specific angles, chat GPT, of course, is is, is everywhere. So I love the analogy that um, the, um, the uh, head of innovation and design for Microsoft mentioned, which is everyone's wondering, why is chat GPT everywhere all of a sudden? And he said, it's kind of like the old school ketchup bottle in a glass <laughs> jar, which is you hit it and you hit it and you hit it and it's slowly coming, coming, coming. And then all of a sudden it's globbed up all over your plate in a pool of ketchup. And it's like, oh, too much ketchup. So he said, because of Moore's law and the expert exponential rate of acceleration, as you started us with Emily, ChatGPT was being built in the background for a very long time. He actually took us decades back. Generative AI and AI has been being worked on since the 70s. And he's been in the conversation since then. But because of the, the rate of acceleration, all of a sudden it's like, boom, it's here. And it, it feels like it's everywhere. And so it truly was everywhere at South By. And just to bring it down to some very specific applications for, for marketing, Bridget, you and I sat in an incredible session with BuzzFeed where they, they showed off their brand new um, influencer coach quiz, which is a combination between journalists and AI. So journalists wrote the narrative for this, this really fun kind of experience where you are coached by a bot to become an influencer. Uh, but AI makes it personal. So based on what you type in, if you say you're in Nashville, it, it talks to you, you know, about cowboy boots and country music, uh, things like that, right? So the, the headline is, if you haven't used ChatGPT, you're behind. Log in yesterday, create a free account, play around, experiment. I loved what Amy Webb shared um, in her annual Tech Trends talk. She talked about the new digital divide. The people who are getting used to these tools today and getting to know them and using them are the ones who will be successful in the future. If we ban it from our organizations, like some schools are doing and some research institutions are doing, we are preventing those folks to, to grow and develop and know how to use these tools because humans who can use AI tools and who can write the right prompts are the ones who will be assisted workers in the future, which is an entirely new class of workers in the future. Those who will be assisted by AI and will be much more powerful because you can have it do all of your tedious tasks, but you could also leverage it for inputs. So we could do a whole podcast on that and maybe we should. Um, but let me pause there because I haven't talked about the challenges. Emily, do you want to share some of the challenges and some of the things to watch out for? 
Um, I mean, I think you hear this a lot in the conversation, so I don't think this is like shocking to anyone, but, and one of the panels, actually the one where chat GPT was a panelist, which was just a really cool experience. You know, there, the, the moderator is asking, you know, a question about how do we, how do we use artificial intelligence to improve health equity, uh, in medicine? And then the computer just like speaks and, you know, it, it, nothing it said was incorrect, but it was also a lot of platitudes, you know, it was very high level, not a lot of meat on the bones as one of the um, panelists responded. So I think that's one aspect is it's like, yeah, you can get, you know, something that's correct, but is it insightful? Is it bold? Is it interesting? Probably not. And that also assumes that it's accurate, which in many cases it is not. So I think that's going to be one of the hugest, most substantial problems to counter, especially for physicians um, and, and, and on the medical side. And then I think the other aspect, especially from a health equity component, is the kind of garbage in, garbage out uh, concept, which is as these algorithms, whether it's chat GPT or any machine learning or any type of um, artificial intelligence, you know, these prompts, these codes are being created by people and people have bias. So we have not figured out a way to um, streamline the bias out. And there was one really interesting kind of conversation around, we've got to make it easier in the digital space for data scientists to access better data sets that will allow for non-bias in algorithms. And we're just not there yet. I mean, even in healthcare, like the data, I think 70, you and I both heard that um, by the year, you know, 2030 or something, healthcare data is going to make up 36% of all digital data period. Um, and I just don't think we're, we're fully there. Um, but I also thought it was exciting. And I also thought what you said, um, and I heard this too, it was like, if you're a creative person, if you're a content person, you need to be getting real familiar with these tools because you need to be the one leveraging them at your organizations before they leverage you, basically. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of that, Bridget, from a creative standpoint, how are you thinking about using generative AI? Um, yeah, it's definitely going to transform the industry just like how mobile and social did. So with generative AI, we've seen evidence of technology being creative. People who are best at using AI tools are not the engineers or the techie types. It's the creative people who prompt and combine things that you wouldn't mash together, like normally mash together to create something new. Um, the AI output is not always precise, but it does make mistakes, which is kind of like the human part of it. Um, but it is creating something interesting, something new, and then sometimes beautiful. That's what excites me. I know that I can create, and yes, sometimes I can surprise myself, but I would love to generate ideas using AI, be inspired, be pushed out of my comfort zone, and use it to my advantage. For example, I could be I could start using it when I brainstorm ideas. I can figure out crazy if crazy ideas work. Maybe image search. I can mock up activations. Use it as a starting point for like taglines, and then just and then improve upon it and make it my own. So, yeah, I'm excited. I think it's just another way to be creative for me, personally. Absolutely. So before we close, maybe I'll just share a few guidelines and guardrails. <laughs> Because again, I would love every single one who's listening and just everyone to, to log into ChatGPT and start experimenting with it. But a few things to consider, especially for, for our clients to know, you know, 
we do not recommend one ever including uh, confidential information or putting it in there. So that's really important. Two, uh, you know, we we would never take what was shared from ChatGPT or generative AI in general and use that as just an automatic output, right? That's really, really important that things are fact-checked, that they're reviewed, that they are, it's a complement to humans. And also anything that's publicly put out, you know, needs needs to, if, if it does include or use generative AI, it needs to be very transparent about it. We saw recently an issue that happened with um, with Vanderbilt University where um, they apparently used ChatGPT to, ChatGPT to write um, a note about, um, I think it was, was it a shooting or something of that nature? That is not a good use, right? That is something that should be highly emotional, highly human. So I just want to be super clear that creative teams, creation teams, we're not using and we should not use it as the raw output or even, you know, we have to be really careful on how we use it um, for organizations. So that's really important. Um, with all that said, I will close this out. Maybe I'll just make one plug. I think if, if anyone wants to catch up on South by, like I said, there's some great stuff on YouTube you can get for free. And there's also uh, the most amazing Amy Webb from the Future Today Institute always does her presentation. This year, she gave 666 trends. And no, that number was kind of a joke. Um, it, it was it was it was not intended to be 666. But her point was, there is that much this that's really happening. And so she has a massive thousands pages uh, of report that's free for anyone to download and just absolutely mind building incredible. So let's wrap there. There's so much more that we could certainly talk about in terms of the massive changes taking place in the healthcare and the tech space, but let's just take a pause. So we'll wrap up the show. Emily, Bridget, thank you so much for being here. And for all of you listening, thank you so much for joining us. If there's something you want us to cover, shoot us an email at nonormal at reviveagency.com. And as always, let us know if you disagree. Sometimes we talk about things here that are controversial, that are that are futuristic, and we want to hear your opinions. We're all for a debate. So shoot us a note and make sure you show the share, share the show with friends and colleagues. Give us a review and a rating on iTunes. All of that is appreciated. Until next time. Don't be satisfied with the normal and push that no normal, y'all. We will see you next time. Three.